praise you. Because we want this to be, as we say, all about you. We want you to be exalted and lifted up, magnified in our lives, in this place, in this community, in this world. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your patience with us. We thank you for the promise you made never to destroy the world again with water. We thank you that you call us to believe in you, to offer us real life, eternal life. We thank you that you have accomplished our salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And so we worship you and we prepare our hearts to receive what you want us to hear this morning. Lord, use me as your vehicle, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dive right in, get your Bibles out, we continue our series. We're going to talk about, actually for this week and next week, the Tower of Babel. Or as my wife would say, the Tower of Chris, because I babble all day, she says, so. Genesis chapter 11. says, now the whole earth, and this is a great chapter because there aren't difficult names, by the way. That's the key thing. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city. In a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language, and it is what they do begin to do, and now and this is what they begin to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do do will be impossible for them come let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech that's a by the way a summary of marriage husband and wife i she doesn't understand me i don't understand her and we speak the same language can i get an amen from the congregation on that one right and they stopped building and said, oh, Don, that was a little too uh, <laughs> hardy. Anyways, therefore, its name is, was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Uh, the book of Genesis, as I, I keep repeating this, but I want you to get this, it is a book of origins. And now, it makes sense that it's a book of origins, because... We all know, what does the word Genesis literally mean? Beginnings. Now, in the first 12 chapters, we find a, a virtual cornucopia of origins. Uh, the universe, time, action, space, matter. There's the origin of the solar system and all its celestial bodies, the stars and the sun and the moon. There is the origin of the atmosphere, 
in the water cycle or the hydrological cycle. There's the origin of all life, mankind and animals and marine life. There's the origin of marriage and family. There's the origin of sin, guilt, redemption, and forgiveness. The origin of culture and civilization and animal husbandry and metallurgy and the music and the fine arts and poetry. And in chapter 12, which is the next chapter, we find the origin of the chosen people. But this morning, in chapter 11, we find the origin of nations and languages and false religions. Now, despite the lies the world spews about the evolution of different languages over millions of years, the Bible records a rather simple explanation, an act of judgment by God. And so that's where we begin this morning, by asking you a couple questions really before we're going to do. And the first question is, when did this happen? When did this happen? Well, if you, I think I should put this verse up here, right? Yes, I did. So you don't have to go there, but it's, uh, you can see this. It says, these are the records of the generations of Shem. Now, this is obviously after verse 9. Shem was 100 years old and became the father of Arpekshad two years after the flood. Verse 12, Arpekshad lived 35 years and became the father of Shelah. Verse 14, Shelah lived 30 years and became the father of Eber. I used to say Eber, but it's pronounced Eber. Verse 16, Eber lived 34 years and became the father of Pelech. Now, you do the math here. It's two years after the flood, right? Arpekshad. 35 years for Shelah. Eber, 30 years. And Pelech, 34 years. You get 101 years. Okay? That's the math. Now, did I put this verse up here? No. Genesis 10.25 says this. Two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Pelech. In fact, everyone turned there. Genesis 10.25. Two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg. For in his days, the earth was divided. So we know that Peleg was named for this great act of separation and was born about 100 years after the flood. The act of separation is the story of the Tower of Babel. So in about 100 years, we find how far humanity has already moved away from God. And we also know from our text in Genesis uh, 11 verses 1 through 9 that in 100 years the population is still one tribe or one nation using what? One language and the same words. Now the question we're going to spend most of our time on really this morning is what was the world like then? 100 years after the flood. Well, to answer this question, we have to just go to two sources the Bible, and also the history. Now in the Bible, or the text, we find some clues, namely in verse 4 of Genesis 11. It says, They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city, and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, the people at Babel have a desire for permanence. I want to give you three Ps, and this is the first thing that you can remember, permanence. They have a desire for permanence. They do not want to be scattered. 
This desire, however, is in direct disobedience to the mandate by God given to them, to all humanity. It was first given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and once again given to Noah and his sons after the flood, and it states what? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Okay? In Genesis 9-1, that's what God said to Noah and his sons. It's almost word for word what he said to Adam and to Eve. In other words, God wants us, his image bearers, to discover all that he has created. You know why he wants to do that, by the way? Well, as we learn new information about the riches of our planet, all the resources we have, our appreciation for God should grow, and thus he is glorified. And this is only done through the multiplication of families who then venture out into new territories. But here we find the people of Babel just in open disobedience to God's command. We also find that the people of Babel, not only do they want permanence, they're a prideful people. It says, and let us make for ourselves a name. They want to build a city to be named for themselves. Folks, this is the first city after the flood. It's significant that it is built for the purpose of glorifying man. In other words, God is already being removed from society. Now, we can all relate to that, right? We see that ever increasing in our time. This is a city by man, of man, for man, but most importantly, a city without God. So the people of this world, the time of Babel, are marked by permanence, they're marked by pride, and finally we read that the people of Babel are marked as a pagan people. Look, it says they want to build a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. I want to point out something here to you just to give you some understanding. If you have the New American Standard Version, which I think is what I put up there, it doesn't show what's in italics. What's in italics is the phrase, will reach. That means it was added to try to clarify or to bring understanding to the, of the text. If you just take it out, it's just going to say, whose top into heaven. It reads more like whose top connects to heaven. So this tower was their supposed connection to the gods, which indicates what? hundred years after the flood, they're already doing what? They're worshiping false gods. Okay? Now again, keep in mind, who is alive while they're doing this? Eight people are alive, most likely. Who are they? Noah, his wife, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their wives. That is direct eyewitness account of the flood. And what are the people doing? Well, you see, I mean, they've already moved away from God. It just didn't take long for Satan to develop a false religion to take the place of the worship of the true and living God. It's obvious to see that the people of Babel connected that false religion to the heavens. So this tower 
is dedicated to the heavenly gods, and the attitude of the people of Babel was already one of rebellion. They wanted to live apart from God, driven by ambition and pride. Unfortunately, this is not new. The attitude of the people of Babel is essentially the same as the attitude of Adam and Eve in the garden. They could be like God and be apart from God. But there's much more that we look at to understand this and what history tells us. What were they building? They were building what is commonly known as a ziggurat. I think I put this up here. It's a picture of something like that. You can see these. there's so many that are still in existence to this day. And according to um, N.S. Gill, a ziggurat, it's a very ancient and massive building structure of a particular shape that served as part of a religious temple complex. And you can see the picture of it right there. The, and a ziggurat, like most temple structures for various religions, was conceived as a home for the local gods, which is why you find them all scattered throughout this area. And the text is clear in Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. What were they worshiping? And it was self, right? A home, which is a form of idol worship. And the text does not say that God commanded his creation to build this tower. What the text does say is that his creation chose to build this monument. And three times in verses 1 through 9, we read the phrase, let us. It's easy to conclude they were building a tower or a monument to their own man-made religion in an attempt to reach God or to be like him. And history tells us that a ziggurat had on the top of it a zodiac. You know what that is, right? And the priests of this particular system hoped to gain the information they needed from the stars. So we find this as the birthplace of astrology. This is where this all began. All false religions. If you, and to simplify it for you, all religions fall into one of two categories. Okay? If you want to write this down, I think I've told you this before. One is what we call divine accomplishment. The other category is human achievement. Divine accomplishment means God accomplishes salvation for you. There's only one world religion you put underneath that one. Christianity. Every other world religion goes under human achievement. Okay? So we find here, and this is why I'm going to you know, this in greater detail, why this chapter is in the Bible. It's the birthplace of all forms of false religion. Obviously, we know what astrology is. You, you try to discern information about the future and people's lives and so on. Um, human affairs through studying the movements in, of celestial objects. But again, more importantly right here, was the beginning of all systemized false religion in the worship of the devil and demons. It says here very clearly, there's only one God and every other so-called God is only a demon. God told them this. He says, what did they do? They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known. So all gods that they were sacrificing to, all gods... Whatever it is in Confucianism or Hinduism or Buddhism, whatever they are worshiping, what is behind those gods, according to God? 
demons. That's all it is. That's all it is. And this is what they were doing at that time. Any worship other than the worship of the true God is demonic worship. And let's, let me drive home this point even further. The man behind the building of the Tower of Babel was named Nimrod. In the Greek, it means Ron Malim. Okay? And he's mentioned in Genesis 10, 8 through 12. Okay, let's talk about mighty Nimrod. Didn't that put that on there? Oh, I messed that up. It's supposed to say mighty Nimrod. Anyways. All right. Turn to Genesis 10. Verses 8 through 12. It says, Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one of the earth. He was a mighty hunter. We know that means warrior. Before the Lord, he was a killer, a conqueror. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel in Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went forth into Syria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth-er and Kela and resin between Nineveh and Kela, that is the great city. So Nimrod was the son of Cush, the grandson of Ham, and the great-grandson of Noah. He was the founder and king of the first empire, we looked at that last week briefly, uh, to come into existence after the flood. And his name means rebel. It could also mean um, literally presumptuous in the presence of God. And that's important to remember that. He is, in against, he is against, he is in opposition to God in this regard. So Nimrod was a mighty warrior in defiance of Jehovah. And according to the historian Josephus in Jewish Antiquities, did I put this up here or not? No, I did not. Okay. It's it. Just listen to this. It says, Nimrod, little by little, and this is the famed historian Josephus in Jewish Antiquities. He wrote this. Nimrod, little by little, transformed the state of affairs into a tyranny, holding that the only way to detach men from the fear of God was by making them continuously dependent upon his own power. He threatened to have his revenge on God, if he wished to inundate the earth again. Now, what does that mean? Inundate the earth again. Flood. For he would build a tower higher than the water could reach and avenge the destruction of their forefathers. And the people were eager to follow this advice of Nimrod, deeming it slavery to submit to God. So they set out to build the tower, and it rose with a speed beyond all expectation. So Babel, we also know, is translated what? Babylon. And Babylon was the most religious place. Evidence from excavations and from ancient texts points to the existence of more than 50 of those ziggurats. Uh, the principal god of the first ziggurat uh, was Marduk, called Merodach in the Bible. Nimrod was deified as Marduk, and worshipped. Again, it's the worship of man. In fact, after their deaths, Nimrod and his wife Semiramis, the ancient queen of heaven, I'll explain all this in a moment, were confirmed by their priests as gods and given homages, Marduk and Astarte. Numerous other gods were patterned and fashioned after Nimrod and his mother. 
The false gods of Baal and Bel were the primary names by which other nations were introduced to the worship of Marduk. Triads, or a trinity of deities, were also prominent in the Babylonian religions. One of these, made up of two gods and a goddess, and this is important to remember for next week, was Sin, S-I-N. This is a moon god. Okay? This is ties to Abraham, by the way. Shamash, the sun god, and Ishtar. You recognize that name, right? And of course, from Ishtar, what do we get? Easter, right? We're Easter. And we hunt Easter eggs. They used to, by the way, give out Ishtar eggs. All that stuff, you know, Christianity borrowed a lot of these traditions in some ways. All right? But anyway, she knows a little side point there. But anyways, uh, Sin, Shamash, and Ishtar, these are said to be the rulers of the Zodiac. So we know that Babylon was full of idol worship. And the prophet Jeremiah spoke of Babylon as a land of idols. I'm just going to give you these verses. You can write them down, look them in your own. I'm going to read them to you. It's Genesis, or Jeremiah 50, verses 1 and 2. And this is 1,000 years after the Tower of Babel. So this is still going on. It says, The word which the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, through Jeremiah the prophet. Now, of course, during his time, who was reigning in Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? It says, Declare and proclaim among the nations, proclaim it and lift up a standard. Do not conceal it, but say, Babylon has been captured. Bel has been put to shame. Marduk has been shattered. Her images have been put to shame. Her idols have been shattered. So, going all the way back to the Tower of Babel, we see the name Bel and Marduk, which, of course, refers to Nimrod. Now, we're only three generations from Noah, right? And what is humanity doing? They're openly rebelling against God, led into false worship of idols by Nimrod. From the time of the building of the Tower of Babel onward, Babylon in Scripture always stands for that which is in opposition to God. But again, its origins go back to what event? The Tower of Babel. Everything has a beginning. God's mandate for humanity, mentioned earlier, was to multiply and fill the earth. Satan, through Nimrod, is doing what? The opposite. They want permanence. They want to localize. At Babel, and this next point is crucial, Satan is trying to unite humanity in one place. And that Babel was the real beginning of the false systems of religion. Everybody was one in the sense that everyone was gathered there. And when God scattered them all over the place, and please, if you're going to remember anything, probably remember this about this sermon, what did they do? They're all worshiping these false gods. They're now speaking different languages. They scatter, right? What do they take with them? Their belief in their false gods. And they developed other false religions and cultures and so on. That's how, why the world is so full of false religions. Okay? And they took those false religions, they formulated it culturally, wherever they happened to go, in, in whatever language they happened to speak. 
And this is so important because all the major religions that you find throughout the world have basically the very same ingredients. Why? Because it came from Babel. All false religions then stem from Babel and are nothing but the worship of demons. So whether you're talking about the Babylonian god Marduk, or the Assyrian god Ashar, or the Greek god Zeus, or the Roman god Jupiter, or Apollo, or whether you're talking about a nature god like Ra, the Egyptian sun god, or whether you're talking about paganism or something as sophisticated as Hinduism, it was all the same format. And it stemmed from the same satanic source at Babel, and it was an abomination to God. Jeremiah 32, 35 says this, They built the high places of Baal that are in the valley of Ben-Hamon, which is what? I think the valley of slaughter, Ben-Hamon, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Moloch. Remember I showed the picture of Moloch and so on a couple weeks ago? says, which I had not commanded them, nor had it entered my mind, that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. So again, what's happening at Babel is, is morphing into child sacrifice and so on. And its followers play the role of the harlot, Jeremiah 3, 6. The Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what the faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. So she is worshiping false gods. Where did that come from? Babel. And all these false religions and all these false religious systems all follow the same basic format. Again, let me give you just two examples of this found, again, in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, Keep in mind, this is about 2,000 years after the Tower of Babel. God says this to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 7, verses 17 and 18. Do you not see what they, I mean his people, the children of Israel, are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children, this is a family affair, the children gather wood, The fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead the dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. Who is the queen of heaven? It goes back to the Tower of Babel and Nimrod and his wife, Semiramis, who is identified as the queen of heaven. Everything goes back there. Okay? And they pour out drink offerings to other gods in order to spite me. So Israel and the entire family is now worshiping false gods. And in chapters 44, verses 15 through 19 of Jeremiah, this is the response of the remnant who has already been kicked out of Jerusalem now, been in slavery to Babylon and so on. This is their response to Jeremiah. Again, Jeremiah 44, starting in verse 15. Then all the men who were aware that their wives were burning sacrifices to other gods. You want to talk about passive male leadership? There it is. Along with all the women who were standing by as a large assembly, including all the people who were living in Pathos in the land of Egypt, responded to Jeremiah. So all this crowd responds to him, saying, As for the message that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, they recognize him as a prophet. Okay? We are not going to listen to you. 
but rather we will certainly carry out every word that has proceeded from our mouths. By burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven, there she is again, and pouring out drink offerings to her, just as we ourselves, our forefathers, our kings, and our princes did in the cities of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem. So this has been going on for a while. Again, you see the patience of God? For then we had plenty of food and were well off and saw no misfortune. But since we stopped burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have met our end by the sword and by famine. Why did they meet their end by the sword and famine? They violated the covenant set with God. This is just, you reap what you sow, okay? And, verse 19, said the women, when we were burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven and we were pouring out drink offerings to her, was it without our husbands that we made for her sacrifice cakes in her image and poured out drink offerings to her? In other words, we are doing this with the knowledge of our husbands. They know we're doing this. They're not what? Telling us to stop. Now, the question is, again, who was the queen of heaven? Of heaven. Nimrod had a wife. His wife's name was Semiramis. She was the queen of Babel. And when Babel got scattered by God, the whole system revolving around Semiramis went with it. What are the people, wor- who are the people worshiping? The queen of heaven, who is a woman. So now we have the worship of what? A female deity or a mother. Now that sounds familiar to some of you who have a Catholic background, right? Queen of heaven from Mary. Yeah, we'll get into that, but you'll see how that ties even into Catholicism. Okay? Now, Semiramis became so well known around the world, and again, she's everywhere now because why? God scattered them. Every system of religion goes back to her. For example, in Assyria and Nineveh, they worship a woman called Ishtar. That's Semiramis in their language. In Phoenicia, it was Ashtaroth. In Egypt, it was Isis. In Greece, it was Aphrodite. And in Rome, it was Venus. But its origins go back to Semiramis, to the Tower of Babel. The story of Semiramis is this. This will sound familiar. Semiramis was conceived, or conceived a son, not by a man, but by a sunbeam, and she named him Tammuz and offered this son as a promised deliverer. Where do you think Satan got this counterfeit idea from? He is not original. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. When Tammuz grew up, a wild boar killed him, but you know what happened? After 40 days of his mother's crying, he arose. And what do you think Satan was counterfeiting there the resurrection of the son of god you want to know something else for a long time and some of you have done this before the resurrection of the son of god um, the roman church has celebrated a period of time known as lent how long is it 40 days do you find anywhere in the bible of a 40-day period between the death and resurrection of christ of course not but yet we will still observe it and if you observe it and you've heard about it, where does it go back to? Babel. Okay? 
It all comes from the worship of Semiramis and Tammuz. It has nothing to do with Christianity at all. Now, in the story of Semiramis and Tammuz was born the mother-child cult. For example, if you go to Phoenicia, you'd find that the child in Phoenicia is called Baal. In Greece, it is Eros. In Rome, it's Cupid. But it's all the same thing. It is all the mother-child cult that Satan began. Now, why do you think he began that? Well, to provide in the midst of the world a counterfeit to Christianity to confuse the issue. In fact, it's so effective if you ask anyone today, if you ask 10 people how to get to heaven, what will you find? 10 different answers, won't you? The worship of Semiramis involved the following, an offering of a wafer or cakes to her other name, Queen of Heaven. I've read that to you in Jeremiah 7 and Jeremiah 44. There was also 40 days of Lent and a weeping for Tammuz before the feast which celebrated his resurrection. You can read that in Ezekiel 8, 14 and 15. There were burnt offerings and drink offerings to Semiramis, the Queen of Heaven, Jeremiah 7 and verse, in chapter 44 as well. Not to mention the involvement of priests, sacramental rites, dedication of virgins, and purgatory. You may be wondering if what I just described sounds a lot, a lot like Catholicism. Well, where did Catholicism come from? Well, where Babylon, when Babylon was destroyed by the Medes and the Persians, okay, you remember that story in Daniel? How'd that happen? Nebuchadnezzar passed away. His son took over. They were partying with the, 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 the what? The utensils from the temple of God. And remember the handwriting in the wall? And that night, through the water aqueducts, the Medes got into Babylon and they took over and conquered Babylon. It was, and it was the Medo-Persian, eventually morphed into the Medo-Persian Empire. So, let's see. When it was destroyed by the Medes and the Persians, as foretold by Daniel, all the high priests and priestesses left there and they went to Pergamos, history tells us. But they held on to the worship of Semiramis. And when Rome moved into power, and we're talking, you know, hundreds of years later, because you have a 500 years of history from Babylon to the Medo-Persian Empire to the Greek Empire and then to the Roman Empire. So when, when Rome moved into power, Julius Caesar had all the priestesses and priests of Semiramis move from Pergo Pergamos to Rome. And Julius Caesar knew he could have more power if he could combine a false religion with his, his government, his system, because he knew what every good conqueror knows. You have to get to the people religiously. That's in a separate note here. Why do you think people are so passionate about the climate? Because it's come to, become to them, and you've heard me say this before, a, a cult, a religion. That's what drives them. And when the worship of Semiramis arrived in Rome, the chief priest in Rome took the title of Pontifex, Max, Pontifex Maximum, and it was imprinted on his mitre. And the title had to do with the worship of a god called Dagon, the fish god. You can look all this up, by the way. From then on, every emperor in Rome wore the title Pontifex Maximum. It had nothing to do with Christianity. It meant it, you were the chief priest 
of the worship of Semiramis. Now, what happened in 312 AD? Constantine conquered Rome, and eventually he became the Pontius Maximus, and he became the ruler of Rome, and he brought in Christianity. So that false religion merged with Christianity and eventually formed the Roman Catholic Church. Okay? So that's what happened there. Now, who wears the title today of Pontifex Maximum? The Pope. Right. But the Pope is not the direct successor of Peter. He is a direct successor of the Babylon false religions and the servant of Dagon, the fish god. And not only that, Catholic priests and popes call Mary, the mother of Jesus, the queen of heaven. For those of you who have a Catholic background, this will not be new to you. And where does that come from? Well, it certainly doesn't come from the New Testament. So we see that what happened was in the process of Babylonian religion migrating to Rome. Catholicism became a mixture of Christianity and paganism. And this influence continues even to this day. This is a quote that I put up here for you. It's by J.A. Seiss. The wine of old Babylon's fornication was a debauching system of idol worship and carnal self-exaltation over and against revelations and institutes of Jehovah. This right here is referring to Babel. We find it in the teachings of ancient Babylon to this day among all the nations of the earth affecting and controlling their thinking, their policies, their faith, and their worship. Two-thirds of the population of the earth at this hour, and this was written right around this time, folks, um, are pagan adulterers driveling under the same old intoxication which came forth from Nimrod in Babylon. Now, let's come full circle. What is the destiny of these false religions? Revelation 17 predicts the doom of this worldwide system of religions. What do I have here next? I'll just put this up here for you. I wonder when to turn there. Go all the way back. Revelation 17. So we start in Genesis, real easy to find. Revelation, real easy to find. This is the destiny of all these false religions. Revelation 17 predicts the doom of this worldwide system of religions in verses 1 through 5. Revelation 17, 1 through 5. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery. And what does it say? Babylon the Great. Watch this. The mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. The mother meaning the origin. Babylon is the mother of all hearts and abominations of the earth. 
What is that referring to? Well, as I showed you earlier, the abomination of the earth and that which causes men to play the harlot from God's perspective is false religion. From Babel or Babylon have come ancient paganism, Chinese Confucianism, Asian Buddhism, Indian Hinduism, Shamanism, Taoism, Shintoism, Animism, animism astrology, witchcraft, spiritism, Sikhism, modern scientism, and evolutionary humanism, etc. And it just goes on and on and on. These all came from this ancient mother of harlots. Mother signifying that she's the origin or the source. And so we come full circle. What began in Genesis as rebellion against God led by Nimrod will end in judgment by the very God they rebelled against as these false religions will be laid waste. Now the story of the Tower of Babel was not recorded for us so we can just know how different languages of the world came into existence. The story of the Tower of Babel was a judgment, folks. It wasn't a judgment of destruction by a worldwide flood, but a judgment of dispersion for the sin of the people. And we know what that was. I simplified it for you. Permanence, pride, and paganism. Now here's where this map falls in. One little small unique note here. As in most judgments, what happens? People are displaced. Okay? So I want to show you this right here real quick. Up here, if you can see this little light, right here is Mount Era. It's, it's on a different map you can see it, but right around this area right here. Okay? And so what happened is, from the text that we read this morning... So here's Noah and his sons, and they're getting off, and they're seeing all these mountains and everything, and can they stay there in those mountains and live there? No. So they make their way down from here, probably down in this area right here, okay? Eventually down here. Probably by over in this area, because there's what right here? Water, and there's going to be fish, and so on. But it says in time they did what? They went east to where? The plain of Shinar. And, of course, look what's right here, Babylon, which is right about where Babel would have been. The tower would have been built. Now, the Tower of Babel was located in the plain of Shinar, where I just showed you. This area that I just showed you, uh, historians, theologians believe, was very near the location of the Garden of Eden. I've said that before. Both of them were in the Mesopotamian Valley. So... Garden of Eden and Babel, right around this area, is probably this, roughly the same area, okay? It's the lower Euphrates Valley between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. My point being this, is that man is twice thrown out of what was the most beautiful place on the planet. Once in the Garden of Eden, and now the Tower of Babel. Once it was just Adam and Eve, the not of Edom, now it's the whole of the population of the world thrown out of the plain of Shinar. And so I thought, well, how can I make this personal to us? Because of their sin and the judgment, they were displaced. 
So I thought, okay, how about this? What area of your lives have you displaced God? That's what I want you to think about this week. The judgment of God displaces people. We displace God in our lives, don't we? So just meditate on that this week. And don't ever observe Lent. And learn to say the hard names of the Bible. <laughs> and be grateful that Diane Elim is back. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And hopefully for whatever we learned, whatever you are, spoke to the hearts of the people. I want to thank you for the people that have, have researched this stuff. And I can find them and put together this message. And we can learn so much about just the origin of the universe. The origins of our lives. And the impact that is still affecting us today. Lord, may we enjoy this beautiful day. May you be magnified in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Enjoy this weather. Amen.